video. I thought about adding music and doing a bunch of different things with it, but really, is it that kind of how life is? You're just going about your life, doing everything. There's no flashing light, no indicator. This is about to happen. Sometimes you just end up driving off a cliff and you don't really know well, what happened. How did I get here? And the truth is that we've avoided a conversation in the church for a long time. For those that have not avoided the conversation, many of them were mean-spirited. They were not biblically based. And they were more damaging than they were helpful in a conversation about accountability. Now, the reason we've avoided this conversation is because we don't want to hurt people's feelings sometimes. We also have a blaring voice of the world saying Christians are bad people because they judge people. There are a bunch of hypocrites who judge people. And so one of the ways we've responded to that is by simply saying, well, just, or we will just not judge. We'll just love. Well, I'm a big fan of loving others. I believe that is our primary role as a follower of Jesus, to love him and to love others. That's what he told us was the most important thing for us to do. However, is it really love to watch somebody go off a cliff and not say a word? See, I'm to the place in my life to say, if you watch somebody go over and you are not willing to stop them, that was not love. And the reality is, Jesus never exercised love in that fashion. He never said, guys, he never pulled them together. The disciples said, guys, listen, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to go in and smile and give hugs. And I just want you to tell them how great they are. And then I want you to go to the next city and I want you to do that. And by this way, the gospel will change lives and change the world. Now, if that's in your Bible, it's not in mine. But many of us do subscribe to that philosophy of following Christ. And in doing so, we have changed the gospel. And that's dangerous. Now, we've tried to cover this in a a somewhat complete way. And this morning, what I'm going to talk to you about is, quite honestly, a very difficult topic. And I'm going to share some examples from my life in, in ways that you need to understand Many people look at the pastor and go, the pastor holds people accountable. But yeah, the pastor can't hold people accountable if he's not being held accountable himself. So I'm going to share some examples from my life and both sides of this. But I want you to know that our purpose throughout this series is for your growth and health, not for some kind of power or control. And we have certainly seen that in other places. As we're taking notes, you can follow along on version. You can write them down. If you've got a Bible, great. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the hallway. Those are free. Pick one up, take it with you. As we start out our time together, every follower of Christ should have the same goal and the same purpose in life. Every one of us. There is no variety in goal and purpose in life. And that is to declare the majesty of God and his gospel. That's it. If you're confused about life, if you will center upon these things, you will find that life begins to make sense. 
See, we make it about all kinds of different things. We make it about our jobs and retirement. We make it about personal goals and success. We make it about competition and winning. We make it about having the better stash of stuff than somebody else. We make it about having the life that looks enviable. And so we make life so complicated and it was never meant to be that. If we just get focused on the things that matter, you have a singular goal and purpose in life. To declare the majesty of God and his gospel. And if we would truly embrace this, a few things are going to happen. Not only will we have singularity of purpose, will the church stop being split into all the different directions that we may go. The gospel will begin to shine like it was intended to shine. And we will not have all these arguments about what kind of God is God or who is God or what would God tell his people to do because people would be hearing from God. They would be seeing God work and there would be no question just as we have seen in the past. God works through his people when they declare his majesty and his gospel. So we make things complicated. We make them so complicated that at the end of the day, we're not sure how we're supposed to act and because we feel so torn and and complicated inside that i look at your life and i go well i really can't say anything to you about what you're doing because i don't have a clue what i'm doing so how am i going to offer you any advice yeah i see a car about to drive off a cliff i'll honk my horn i can see that clear as day but you're getting ready to commit spiritual suicide maybe i'm not so sure you're wrong because i'm confused too We have a singular purpose in life. For those that debate this topic, that we have a singular purpose in life, you can check out for the rest of the service because it's not going to make sense. Because I know there are a lot of people today that claim the title of Christian, but God is just a part of where their purpose and priorities in life are. The only thing that's going to make sense today is if you have decided... Jesus is central. He is the one of which I will pattern my life after. He is the one that I will worship and he is the one that I will follow. Only those that make that decision can enter into this conversation without any clarity whatsoever. Otherwise, it will be a big mass of confusion because in your mind you're saying, yeah, but there's so many options how to live your life. So I'm going to do my best to kind of share where this is going. And I also want to give a warning because what I want to talk to you about today is what does it look like to be a righteous judge? The reason I want to give you a a warning about this is, is because there's only one who is truly righteous. And it's not me and it's not you. The only righteousness we have, we have been given because of Jesus Christ. That's it. The only tools by which we have to demonstrate the righteousness of God is his scriptures in which he has given us to read and to know and to live out. And so the warning here is, as we talk about being a righteous judge, we are all hypocrites. So if you're looking for some kind of system in which you can live without hypocrisy, good luck with that. We do have a singular purpose. We read about it. One of my favorite passages of scripture, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, God, 
who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are whose people? God's people. Are you my people? Are you Journey's people? Are you some other church's people? God's people. That is so important. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct. Conduct. That's such an important word here. Your behavior. The way you talk, the way you act, the way you live. There are so many people today that will say, you know what? Jesus died for my sins. It's by grace in which I live. Therefore, my behavior has no standing. I've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. That sounds so good, doesn't it? And it's a big load of garbage. It is a big load of garbage. And here's why it's a big load of garbage. Because if you've experienced the excellencies of God, you no longer are willing to let your conduct be whatever you want it to be. Because he has become more important. The excellencies of him. The excellencies of who God is. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, the unbelievers, the people that don't believe what we believe. They don't validate what we believe. They don't fall under the same level of authority and accountability as we do because they don't believe. But among them, keep your conduct honorable so that even when they speak against you as evildoers, which is what is happening all over the world. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So that they will see God through you is what this is saying. See, as we declare the excellencies of God, it changes us. And it changes us in a way that other people notice and that they want to be changed themselves. See, the benefit of this singular goal and purpose is to honor God, to communicate the gospel, but also to enjoy the abundant life that Jesus promises to those who truly follow him. You know, there's a part to accountability that really is completely about you will have a better life if you follow the teachings of Christ. It will happen. That doesn't mean it will be easier, but it will be better. And one of the ways that it will be better, when you begin to experience the goodness of God, there is a peace that begins to invade your heart and your soul. And once you have that peace and you know, God, I know God and God knows me and I'm forgiven and I can walk with him. Once you have that, you will never give that up because what we knew before that was anything but peace. How do we act? How am I supposed to respond to this? What am I supposed to do with my life? All of these questions, anxious questions, we didn't know what to do with. Once you experience that peace, you don't want to give it up. I think there really are a lot of people today that they've never experienced a true peace of God because they've never truly submitted their lives to him. And so they're still messed up inside and they don't know how they're supposed to act and respond and do and live. And it's a struggle. But when we put God first, when we put following him first, when we say we're going to declare him and his gospel above everything else, that leads to the abundant life Jesus is talking about when he said I have come that you will have this abundant life. 
And so as we knew what would happen when we entered into the topic of accountability, there would be some pushback. Some of the pushback has been, you know, Jesus is the only one who's supposed to judge. As you've been walking through this series with us, I hope you've seen that that is not the case. We see over and over again where Jesus says, I want you to judge the behavior of others. We see Paul saying, I am looking at what you are doing. I have already judged you. But the reason we push back is because many of us have experienced judgment in a harsh and mean way. And so we have declared that no judgment should happen save the judgment of Christ. Because someone's been mean to me. Sounds silly, doesn't it? Like grown-ups, we don't say that anymore, right? So why, why did you not come to work today? Well, because he was mean to me. What's going to happen if you say that to your boss? He was mean to me. She was mean to me. Well, okay. Go find, go work somewhere else. Because <laughs> that's the way life is sometimes, right? We can't just throw things out because someone was mean to us. But we don't have to continue in unhealthy actions. And so there's been pushback a little bit from this. Only Jesus can judge. I hope you've seen that there is a biblical mandate. If we love one another and we're in this together, we are going to judge each other. The difference is what we are told to do is we are told to judge gently. To judge gently. So how do we become a righteous judge? For some of you are going, I'm, I'm in. I want it. Where do I sign up? How do I be? I want, I want to be it. How do I be legal? Because I totally can go tell people what to do. And so some of you are, you're ready, man. You are so, you're into this. Some of you are like, I don't even want to do this. Why is this here? I thought there were the youth were providing waffles again this morning and they're not. So what in the world's going on? Why am I sitting in this seat? But I want to tell you. That if you're going to follow this path, I'm going to tell you it will be the most difficult thing you ever do. It will likely be one of the most painful things you will ever do in your life. So anyone who's ready to jump on the bandwagon, I'm not sure you're ready. For those of you who aren't sure that this is for you, you may be the one to lead others to this abundant life. How does that play out? How do I figure this out? Last week, Stacey talked about uh, submission. She just said some great things. I took a bunch of notes. I hope you took a bunch of notes. And she said this, there is no submission without accountability. However, there is accountability, accountability regardless of our willingness to submit to God. It's true. We cannot truly have accountability if someone's not being willing to submit it's not happening instead it's a one-sided conversation the only way accountability can truly happen is when we have a submissive spirit and that will go against everything in our being that we're supposed to do we want to stand up for ourselves we don't want somebody else telling us what to do right we want to do it ourselves and when somebody comes down and says mark you got to stop what you're doing i'm like no i don't i'm doing it for a reason I don't have to stop. There's no accountability there. If I'm not willing to submit, however, we are going to be held accountable by God no matter what. We can ignore it. We can pretend it's not there. We can act like this is no big deal. But the truth is, all of eternity may be at balance in our willingness to submit. Judgment is coming. Whether we want to believe it or not, it is coming. 
Now, in this kinder, gentler world, we're trying to take the Bible and cut out the parts that aren't, you know, kinder and gentler. And one of those is the, the area of hell. That's why hell's been such a big topic, why we don't want to talk about hell so much. I, I used to get in trouble sometimes talking about, you know, blood or sin or, you know, let's just kind of go easy on that stuff. Which is fine if the standards have changed since Christ died. But they haven't. Judgment is coming. Now, what we're going to talk about next week, for some of you that still aren't sure that we're really in our right minds, what we're going to be talking about next week is what happens for those people who never said they wanted to know Christ or follow him. Do they fall under these same expectations? And I'll give you the short answer now, no. If, if I've got, you know, you who is a believer here that are walking in some really unhealthy ways, and I've got a person who, who is an outright atheist, then, and they're doing the exact same things, it's not my role to go to them. It's my role to go to you, the believer. There's a very real difference. And the way the church is messed up is we have taken the things that we want validated, the conduct and behaviors, the language, the actions, and we've said, you who don't even, you don't even know Christ, now you do what we say you're supposed to. And then the world has had a backlash against us because we forgot we're not their judge. Christ is their judge. We'll go into that more detail next week. But today, what about us within the church? Judgment is coming. I'm going to answer. If someone comes to me and says, Mark, and you're messed up. I can say I'm not listening. Go about my day and my day will be just fine. That doesn't mean I'm not still going to be held accountable by God. That doesn't mean that one day I'm not going to stand before him and he's going to say, Mark, you have missed the boat. It's going to come. There's no getting away from that. Would I not then want to make sure I'm getting the best out of this life right now? Why would I want to ignore those who care about me and just plow on ahead and have that confusing, weird life and I'm not really sure who I am or what I'm supposed to be about? So how, how detailed is this judgment? She shared this from Matthew 12, 30, 36. I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. I'm like, I'm in trouble, right? Every careless word. You're thinking, you know, how bad is it? Is it if I watch that show or type that thing into my browser or whatever? But he's saying every careless word. Man, I've looked back over my day, especially when it's a busy, stressful day. I got a lot of careless words in there. Like, man, I'm in big trouble here. Judgment is real. And we can't ignore that it's not. And yet you live in a time when they're trying to define Christianity based on their freedoms apart from Christ rather than based on his word in which he has given us so that we will maintain an understanding of who he is. When we give the world control of how we live and what we believe about God, we have no longer followed the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is no longer our Lord. They are. I saw this week or this weekend CNN, I believe, right now is on a rampant tear to destroy the Christian faith. You're thinking, Mark, you're going a little nuts on us. I mean, we knew you were a little weird, but what? CNN? Do you notice these kind of growing articles on atheism? A few weeks ago, I, I reposted a thing that a group of atheists have created a hotline that says, if you're questioning your faith, call us. We'll help you work through it. 
Like, I, I want to talk to an atheist about whether my faith is real? My little, my little uh, example, I thought, man, this is so clever. You ever post stuff that you think so clever and nobody says anything about it? You feel like an absolute failure? My little clever saying was, it, you know, it's like asking a Reebok salesman if you should buy a pair of Nikes. Go to an atheist, ask him, should my faith be real? But I saw, I saw two articles this weekend. One was about was a expose on the, you know, nice, cool neighborhood family of atheists that you can leave your faith and be this, you know, beaver cleaver family of atheists. You think that doesn't sound like an all-out war? ISIS pulling the trigger on somebody—that sounds like an all-out war. But you understand what happens in the Middle East happens because of the culture that's happening there. What happens in America is because of the culture that's happening here. When we've got an enemy out there trying to devour and destroy us, he figures us out and he figures out our vulnerabilities. And we are so into entertainment. If you entertain us in the right way, we will let the foundations of our faith be eroded because we really value entertainment. And so we put this nice-looking, smiling family up and talk about how wonderful a life you can have as an atheist, knowing that if they outright challenged the church, that there would be such an uproar that people would stand up and say no. So we just say, here's an atheist hotline. Here's an atheist family from which you can lead. Look at all these people leaving the church now, and they're embracing this holistic life of living their own for their own freedoms. That's an outright war on the church in America through CNN. If you don't see that, well, man, I, I am a little weird. I'll grant that. But that doesn't make me wrong. And we're going to see this continually happen. We're going to see this with evangelists trying to get the nicest private jet and wanting their congregations to fund it. We're going to see that and we're going to erode in the confidence of people that we truly worship God and not ourselves. There's an accountability that comes into play when we begin to say we're about to walk off a cliff. The gospel and the, the excellencies of God are, are too great for us to allow that to happen. But let's get back to on topic. What does that mean for us? Jesus' sacrifice meant that we could have abundant life. A hotline that encourages people to walk away from Christ is encouraging them to walk away from abundant life. When we talk about how evil the church is, it's because we're trying to convince new people that need to know Christ that he's not worthy to be known. But he says, if you will follow me, you can have abundant life. That's the stakes of accountability. It's the stakes of how we're going to move forward in our life. Accountability at its core should be about communicating the gospel clearly and helping that life come to pass. For those of you who have been injured by the church, I know you've been injured. I've been injured too. You'd be surprised what people feel free to tell the pastor. It's a, it's amazing how many little, I, I, I haven't since we, it's different when you start a church. I'll tell you that straight up. Um, but whenever you kind of come into an established system, you're just a, you're just an old, you know, dog for hire sometimes, right? It's amazing how many secret meetings I end up having about things, crazy things that don't matter. 
we all can feel the sting of being judged. We all can know how unhealthy that can be. And we all know what the motive of the person holding us accountable, the difference that can make. And someone is broken and hurting and they say, I see this and I love you and I just don't want you to go down this path. I've been down this path. There's nothing good down it. It's very different than looking down their nose at somebody and telling them, you are such an idiot. I'll do what I say. There's a complete difference in the way we respond to that. Some of you, you, you struggle with getting beyond past hurts. And I'm telling you, you are suffering in the life that God wants for you because you are unwilling to move past those hurts and see it the way that God intended it for it to be. Submitting to accountability is not about changing our conduct, but transforming our character. And that's something else Daisy said, which is so true. Without submission, there is no following Christ. Do you, do you get that? I think sometimes we think we make submission optional, but do you realize repentance is the line that we must cross if we are going to know Christ? And when we refuse to submit, we are also refusing to repent. And we are in that category of people that will stand before him and he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Repentance is the core message of the gospel, not grace. Now, some of you really think I flipped out, right? See, grace is what the gospel is. It is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is repentance. Turn, embrace what you were created to be, not what you've become, but you must turn. And so what I find about those who truly follow Christ are sometimes those who are the most honest about their weaknesses, not the ones that hide their weaknesses. Because a person who knows Christ knows where the, view, the beauty and the value of repentance is and says, God, let there be nothing between us. And so sometimes whenever we do, we'll do like a heavy duty sermon on some behavior and they'll be like, oh, you know, I'm a terrible. You need to pray for me. I'm in such bad shape. And they're like one of the most godliest people you know. You know what I'm saying? You're like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm envious of your walk with Christ. And you're telling me that you're messed up? Because we understand that submission leads to something incredible when we submit to the right things. We submit to the wrong things, not so much. So how do we do this well? What does it take to be what I'm calling a worthy mentor? And I will tell you this, that just not only preparing this, but living this, it is so much easier to determine what a mentor should not be than it is to sell what they should be. I will tell you that straight up. So if you're here for an exhaustive, you know, lesson on this, I, I don't have it. And if you want all the, you know, sub points to which you can then go and, and orchestrate your life to be the perfect mentor, this isn't the sermon. You know, that'll have to come later after I figure out a little, a few more things. Because it's way easier to say what it shouldn't be. One of the things that we see very much so is that judgment without grace is hypocrisy. When we judge without any grace, mercy, or compassion, that is hypocrisy. Because we ignore the fact that we ourselves are sinful. Another one is this. Leadership without wisdom is destructive. Anybody else experience this in life? See, this is a universal truth. Some of you do this at work all the time. You're like, man, my boss is nuts. I mean, they make these stupid decisions and we're got to go under because of these bad decisions they're making. 
right? Leadership without wisdom is destructive. And so when we assume, assume that a pastor is supposed to be the only one who leads others to accountability, and we've got a pastor whose motives are not pure, then they lead without wisdom, and that's when we come to where the church has come. And there are tons of mistakes in that scenario. One being that the pastor is the only one who does it. But our motivation, our motives, our hearts are central to this. Matthew 6, 5, when Jesus is talking about the Lord's Prayer, this is what he says about those who want to lead without wisdom or they want to judge without grace. It says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. You know those folks? Some of you are going, I haven't seen a street preacher in a long time. It, we're not talking about street preachers. It's not about anybody who wants to be noticed for how good a Christian they are. It doesn't matter if they're standing on a street corner or sitting in a chair in a church service. That's who he's talking about. Those people that want to be noticed. They want to be celebrated. Look how good a Christian I am. Way better than you. Truly, I say to you, they have already received their reward. That's crazy. God has so much more planned for those who will follow him. So it's easy for us to look at what it shouldn't be. But what should it be? A central truth you have to embrace is that accountability is painful but necessary. I've never been in an accountability conversation that wasn't painful ever. Some of you are good at these things. I mean, it, you, you, don't, you, know, you don't feel anything. You're like, man, I can say it. I'll say it. I don't mind to say it. I'll do it. But whenever you operate out of grace and mercy, it's painful because you know that you're about to hold someone accountable and hold them to a standard, and it's going to potentially harm your relationship with them. It's painful. For those that are ready to sign up, man, yeah, I mean, my, find my central ministry is holding people accountable. No, you find your central ministry is being the best Christian you know. For those that operate out of grace and mercy, you find it the most difficult thing you'll ever do in your life. Because it doesn't feel good. You must, bottom line, demonstrate the life of a true Christ follower. Bottom line. I don't mean that you say you do. I mean, other people need to see it in you. You've got to, you've got to struggle with what does it look like for me to follow Christ. More so than you struggle with what does it look like for other people to follow Christ. Because once you get it down for yourself, you're... It's a lot easier to help somebody else. And that's how we avoid hypocrisy. There's one central truth that we all must embrace. And that is that God's way is the best way. His way is the best way. That's where we submit. Most everything will suddenly fall into place when you get that. Doesn't mean your problems go away. Doesn't mean you don't still have hard things you got to do. But life begins to fall into place when we begin to realize God's way is the best way. Not my way. Not the way I want God's way to be, but just finally submitting and saying, God, wherever you lead, that's what I'm going to do. That's where I'm going to go. Embracing that God's way is the best way. All the major issues that we're dealing with in the church and the world would go away if the church would get this right. Issues of integrity. How do we love each other? That would just kind of go away. The issue of abortion would not be debated. 
Caring for other people would not be something that we had to figure out. How are we supposed to care for other people? It would just go away because the Holy Spirit would be alive and well within us. And we would see supernatural things happen in our midst. All these great things, if we just will follow the principles that God has given us. Let me give you, I'm going to give you some practical disciplines. And I'm going to quit. It's practical disciplines of a worthy mentor. I've already shared one. Number one, you're walking the walk. There is a discernible adherence to Scripture in your life. I don't mean that when you corner me and I get defensive and I tell you all the things I'm doing that God says I'm supposed to do. I mean, when I'm just living life, people notice. People notice you are living the life. That doesn't mean that that you never make mistakes. That doesn't mean that you're just going around whistling Dixie all the time. That means that you struggle with walking the path. You're open and honest about the struggle that you have. I've had people will tell me, you know, and sometimes I maybe say too much, but not, I, I really can't remember many, if any, that I say too much. Mark, you really shouldn't talk about your struggles. That is the foundation by which I have to hold anybody accountable. If I have no struggles, how am I ever going to help you with yours? If you have no struggles and you're the perfect Christian, how will you ever understand mine? We have these. Now, accountability for me may look a little different because I'm a, I, I'm a pastor. It may look different. You probably don't have a board of elders assigned to look after you when you screw up. I do. I started this church. This is Mark's church, right? That's what my kids used to say. Yeah, my dad owns a church. They don't believe that anymore. But our elders have the authority to say, Mark, you're out. You're gone. You're done. You're fit. You're done. Without any recourse for me. I have no legal recourse when I step over a line for them to say, Mark, that's too far. You can no longer lead this group. You're out. I'm out. I'm done. I'm out. I don't retain some hidden loophole. Whenever I go home, I have accountability at home. When dad came on as an elder, one of the things that we talked about was, would anybody really validate him as an elder thinking that it, they were just, it was just two of me? And if you believe that was the case, you never sat in on any of our elder meetings. And you would find real soon that dad has no problem holding me accountable. Nor do any other of our elders, which is why we have such a good elder board. My own personal home, Deidre holds me accountable. And I'm the man. <laughs> right? Some of you grew up in the system, man, woman, know your place. Man, if we knew our place, we would never say that. There's <laughs> the truth. I have accountability there. I have accountability at work. At times, Sean will say something. We're sitting across the room, and he'll, he'll totally call me out, and I'll get so mad. And he's so right. Now, I can respond in a number of different ways. I can just say, you know what? This is my life. I'll do what I want. And let me tell you something. I'm seminary trained to refute your argument against what I'm doing is wrong. I am seminary trained. I have three master's degrees more than you on being a minister. And I'm going to tell you 
that if I ever bring that argument up, it means that I have no relationship with Christ at that moment because I'm all about me. See, whenever a person wants to follow Christ, they receive accountability. It doesn't feel good. We don't reach a level of maturity that we go, oh, yes, tell me more. Tell me more. This is great. We never reach that point. At least I have it. Maybe some of you have. I, I've never reached that point. It's painful. It hurts. It makes me admit, Mark, you don't have all the answers. Mark, you are wrong. See, I have to submit to accountability in a number of different ways. But I hope that there is at least some evidence of my personal struggle to follow Christ in the times when I don't do it right. And others should see that in us as well. I don't know how many times I've talked with somebody and they um, have just gone through a terrible season in their life and they just feel like they're completely disqualified. They, they're so messed up. They're afraid for anybody to know what has just happened in their life. And one of the hardest things to get a person who's absolutely destroyed in their own personal life to see is that not only can God restore you, he can use you to restore others. This is all under practical discipline number one. Walk the walk. You see, when you've been through hell, you help somebody else walk through their own personal hell. When you've frolicked in the daisies your whole life, you don't have a whole lot to offer somebody who's dying. And not only can God restore you, God can use you to restore somebody else. This is how Paul described this, 1 Corinthians 9. Even though I am a free man with no master. Oh, we like that. That's a good one. Let's just stop there. It feels good. I got no master. Yeah, I'm with you, Paul. Preach it. I have become a slave to all people. To bring many to Christ. Our central purpose, remember? When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who were under the law. That's our central purpose. When I'm with the Gentiles who don't even follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. He's making a very important distinction. I'm not going to hold you accountable to the values of Journey Church if you are not a follower of Jesus. However, I am not going to give up what God has told me to personally live myself. But all these other things that don't really matter, they can go away. I'll be, I'll be whatever I need to be for you to see that God loves you and he's wanting to redeem you. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Our central goal and purpose in life to declare the majesty of God and his gospel. Don't you realize, verse 24, that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. Listen to this. This is where Paul begins to demonstrate again his weakness. He says, I'm not just shadow boxing. 
I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I hear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. In other words, I need to walk the path, not just talk about it. Okay, so that was a heavy-duty practice for number one. Number two is pretty simple. Prayer is important to you. You want to be a mentor, a righteous judge for others. Prayer is vital to your life. Because prayer is not just an exercise that we do. It's the way that we become closer to God and we hear what he wants to tell us. Not just what we want to tell him. A person who's not praying is not going to be able to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to do through them. Prayer is huge. Wisdom comes from knowing God, not just the Bible. There's a lot of people who know the Bible that don't know Christ. It's not enough for us to know the Bible. We've got to know the God of the Bible. Third practical discipline. This is huge, 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 huge. Scott touched on this. You spend more time building up than holding others accountable. Now, here's how we mess up. I see something in someone that I don't know, and I know it's bad, but I want them to know I know it's bad. But I've not taken a moment to build them up or encourage or befriend them. That's where we mess up. We spend more time building up than holding others. Excuse me. We spend more time. You spend more time. Okay. See, I'm already confused. Let me just read it because I'm trying to say two different things at the same time. You spend more time building up than holding others accountable. When we do the opposite, then we do not have a foundation by which to lovingly show grace and mercy in this process. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says this, talking about food that's been offered to idols. Yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. I, if, I, if I had a, a, a penny for every consultant in my life, I'd be a rich man. I've got lots of people who like to give opinions and say what they think things ought to be. Aren't they just a joy to be around? They're a lot of fun. I just really look forward to those times when they tell me all the ways they would have done it. You know, that feels so wonderful. You know, we all have knowledge about this issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church where this comes in. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. Thanks, already knew that. But the person who loves God is the one God recognizes. Our motives, our hearts are so important. You've got to spend more time building people up. I'm just going to straight up. You get permission to hold people accountable by the many ways you have loved them up to that point. If you've never shown them love, you're not likely going to be received very well when you want to hold them accountable. Because accountability should be based out of love. Not behavior modification. Fourth one. You ask... Forgiveness spontaneously as well as offer advice. See, we can be in a discussion and I can tell you what I think right off the bat. And I'm bad about that. This is one of my weaknesses. Man, I'll give you my opinion. We just joked about all those other people. I'm one of them. Sometimes I have to watch myself. I have to pull myself back. And sometimes I don't have to. I get the look from whoever I'm talking to and it's evident I've just stepped over this bound. But you have to ask forgiveness just as spontaneously. See, when we ask forgiveness, we recognize our faults. We demonstrate we're on the path. We show humility. 
Colossians 3.12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, listen to this. This is what a judge should be. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. You know, it's, yeah, it's what I want. We've got to demonstrate that humility. And the fifth one is this. Loving others is important to you and you do it often. I think sometimes the most effective people who have come to me and said, Mark, I know you you said this or did this or didn't do this or whatever. And I think the most effective people that have ever done that to me have come to me and they themselves are broken over having to come to me. And because I really do want to follow Christ and I see that they're not just trying to be a jerk. I feel compelled to listen and to act. Do we feel compelled to listen and to act? Do you want to be a righteous judge? Is it important for you to love others and for you to do it often? The truth is you are not going to embrace accountability Unless you are committed to growth. For all those that reject accountability are also rejecting growth. That's the way it is. I'm not going to make it sound better than it is. If you reject accountability, you reject growth. Accountability is about growth, not about someone being in charge of somebody else. I've told you this is most difficult thing that you will do when you embrace the idea of being a righteous judge because I cannot tell you how many broken relationships I have when I've loved somebody and I've gone to them and said you're heading down a destructive path and they loved that destructive path and so our relationship was broken every time I ever enter into an accountability conversation I know that at the end of that conversation that this person may choose never to speak with me again and I love this person which means this is another broken relationship that I may be enduring. Personally, it's just easier for me to love you. It's just easier for me to say, you're awesome. Things are great. But I have to look in the mirror when I see your life going downhill and you become miserable. See, if you're going to embrace this idea of being a judge, you'll never stand on a street corner and shout down the sins of others because you know how painful it is. You'll never get in somebody's face and with a mean look in your eye, tell them you need to change based on what I'm telling you because in your heart it's breaking because you know how difficult this is. It's the hardest thing we do. Now, I'm just going to give a little caveat here that personality does make a difference. Some of you, you're like, hey, get in my face and hit me with a two-by-four, and that's what you need. Some of you, if we just walk around with a two-by-four, you're running away. You know, it's personality does play a role in this. But ultimately, when you embrace the, the role of being a judge, you do it because this is what expands not just the cause of Christ, but the abundant life in your own life.
And I'm telling you, this will be the hardest thing you ever do when you embrace the idea that you are partnering with Christ in order to lovingly show, by, show someone the better way. You also are more open when people come to you because, and tell you your faults because you know if this is one of those people that are loving well, that it's killing them to come to you. So you listen because you know they care. We can embrace all these ideals. Accountability is the opportunity to experience the fullness of Christ for yourself and those you love. As brothers and sisters in Christ, when we have repented and we have submitted to to God and his word and his intentions and goals for our life, once we have done that, then we are family. And so as family, we help each other to move forward. The world is full of pitfalls that will suck us in. I know one of my weaknesses is when I get so busy and so stressed, blinders come on for me and I have to slow that down. I have to stop being so busy and stop being so stressed because the blinders have to come off because I will walk right into a sinkhole and I won't even know it unless somebody's been there and say, Mark, get over here. And I do it. Sometimes I don't do it and then I have to come back and say, I should have listened to you. We all have things that lead us to those holes. I know you guys are are tired and you're ready to go, and I'm finished, thankfully. But my hope is is that we will embrace the idea that to truly love one another is to truly look out for one another. When we do that well, we together will declare the greatness of God and his gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for all the ways that you have shown us mercy. Lord, it is so confusing in this world to understand how do we truly show grace when the world expects us to just be silent. Father, I pray that for those in this room that are intentionally loving others and they are burdened with this task of bringing to someone's attention actions which are going to be completely unhealthy, I pray that you would give them strength and peace as they move forward. Father, I pray that we would see each other as brothers and sisters not as winners and losers. And Father, that we would receive instruction as well as give it well. Father, as we hold ourselves accountable to each other, to ourselves and to you, let us always stay focused on the fact that you are a God who is worthy to be followed and praised. Your grace and your mercy to forgive us for our sins is overwhelming. Father, thank you for giving us an example through Christ of what it looks like to walk humbly and to lead well. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.